cruise missiles are flying over the Arabian Peninsula. And blessed are the meek because they really, at the end of it all, those who decide to restrain themselves and use control, even if that means restrain themselves from protecting or overprotecting or causing environments that are are over padded for the ones that they love. Those are the people who truly will get what they want. Those are the ones who will truly outlast all of the crazy that we are seeing. And finally, free speech. Free speech is the foundation for freedom of thought. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future, episode 267. Uh, We are actually streaming live right now on YouTube. If you are listening to the podcast, listening really is one of my favorite ways to consume media as well. So if you're listening, maybe driving somewhere, just know that we are now streaming these live uh, currently, we're doing it on Thursday morning, my time. I don't know what time that is, your time. Uh, but so far, I'm enjoying the process of of doing these live, and I hope that you enjoy it too. You can jump on the live stream and uh, leave a little comment like Mitchell already has. So thanks for showing up and being here. But as, as we get into this episode... Th- We're going to be covering a couple different topics, but really it ties into one thing. Safety is overrated. Safety is an illusion. We we go about our lives thinking that we have this, this safe world or that we're building a safe world or we're working towards a safer world. But safety at the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, and the end of the day is merely an illusion. Case in point. You probably saw the footage swirling around the internet of a volcano in the middle of the ocean erupting, sending a 49-foot tsunami and hitting Tonga. A few people died. I I believe that the number right now is three people. At least three people have been killed. The death toll could end up being higher. But right now, the uh, underwater, undersea um, fiber optic lines have been cut. So we don't have a lot of information coming out. But the footage was absolutely incredible. From space, you see just the earth exploding. But this is the dangerous world that we live in. Dangerous world that we live in, where at any moment, a volcano could erupt. And it could be our life. The other big piece of news that is coming across the the world this week is a Houthi strike in the United Arab Emirates. Now, we're not going to get too deep into this. I'm not a, a, a super big expert on the geopolitical happenings in Yemen, but I'll give you the the rough, the rough play of it, which is you have the Houthis in Yemen who are being supported by Iran with funding, with technology, and they are fighting the internationally established government, which is being backed by Saudi and the UAE. So really, there is a lot of tension between Saudi and Iran, Saudi and UAE and Iran specifically, which really also boils down to 
in a rough sort of way, a conflict between Sunnis and Shiites, Iran's being Shiite. And so what's happening is there is a proxy war taking place between Iran and Saudi Arabia via Yemen. Well, United Arab Emirates had been engaging with troops on the ground for a number of years back in 2019 in Yemen, but they have recently pulled most of their troops out, even though they're still supporting the war with finances and with technology and supporting Saudi in that war. Most of the Houthi attacks have come against Saudi Arabia. We've seen over the last number of years, multiple, whether it's drone strikes, whether it's uh, Scud missiles, whether it's cruise missiles going into Saudi. We, we've seen the the anti-missile systems over Riyadh shooting down missiles as they come in. It's quite it's quite scary thinking Riyadh, it's a city of, it's a developed city of 9 million people, 9 million people, and we, and we have missiles flying over them. This is the, some of the fragility, some of the uh, fragility or instability that we're seeing right now in the region here in the Arabian Peninsula. So what happened over the week on the 17th, we saw a an attack by the Houthis against United Arab Emirates. The Houthis have claimed, the Houthis have quote-unquote described using cruise missiles and ballistic missiles in the attack without offering evidence. Now, as they said themselves, we don't have evidence that it was actually a cruise missile or whether it was a, a drone that they flew across the empty quarter to Abu Dhabi where they struck three oil tankers. And they also struck the Abu Dhabi airport, according to reports, leaving three people dead as well. United Arab Emirates is considered one of the safest nations in the region. And really, we lived in the United Arab Emirates for about two, three years and it is a wonderful place to live. We love the UAE. We love our relationships there, our friendships there. We loved and deeply enjoyed living there in the United Arab Emirates. And it truly is. When you walk the streets, when you drive down the road, when you're meeting people, it feels like a safe place. It looks like a safe place. Every interaction that we've had gives you a sense of safety. Right now, we, we live in the neighboring nation of Oman. And it's ranked one of the fifth safest nation in the world. Uh, we love we love it here. And safety here is one of the greatest draws for many people to this region of knowing that these are stable and safe countries. But right now what the Houthis are doing are working to disrupt that safety because this is one of the big marketing pushes or points, selling points on a nation like United Arab Emirates, which is we are safe. We are stable. You can invest in here. Your businesses can invest in here. You do not have to worry. And that is really one of the fundamental things that the Houthis are working to attack right now is the reputation of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, according to Al Jazeera, uh, they had one of their senior experts on the Yemen uh, conflict, Yemen Houthi Saudi Arabian conflict. Here is Hisham from Al Jazeera. I was in touch with Mohammed Abdel Salam just a while ago. He's mm -hmm. the key spokesperson of the Houthis, and he said 
the operation today is a message to the Emirates that we are going to do whatever it takes to make it extremely difficult for them inside the UAE and to push all the international companies to pull out from the Emirates unless the Emirates stop interfering militarily, politically and economically in Saudi Arabia. So this is... I think he meant to say in Yemen. So point, there's a little bit more to this clip, but the point right now he's making that the Houthis are making is saying we are going to disrupt what is happening in the United Arab Emirates. This It sounds like it's not just a one and done. This is an ongoing threat that the Houthis are leveling against the United Arab Emirates. And for sure, the United Arab Emirates is not going to take this line down as they shouldn't. Uh, if if anyone had missiles flying over their nation, they should definitely defend themselves. He goes on in this clip. This is a message from the Houthis to the to the UAE. A this significant is, development in the conflict. You, you know, for them to be able, for after all these years, we're talking about almost seven years, to send drones into the Saudi Arabia or into the UAE, it's a message that we're far from defeated. This is definitely going to further strain relations between the Emirates and the and Iran, because mm. you know, Iran, the Emirates and Saudi Arabia have been saying that the Houthis would never have been able to launch those drones had they not been given mm. technology and support from the Iranian. The point right now that we're trying to make in this episode is that even in the safest of places, safety is an illusion. And we have witnessed this over the last two years. I think we are more aware of this as a society now than ever before with covid and what it has done to humanity on a vast scale, it has boiled everything down in people's lives to forcing individuals to ask the question, what is important in my life? What do I have to hang on to? And the answer that most, the majority of humanity has found is the only thing that I have is my health and wellness. The only thing that I have, everything else, it falls away, it fades away, it doesn't matter. If I don't have my health and wellness, I don't have anything. So we've been willing to give up freedoms. We've been willing to give up to give up control of our lives and give it over to bureaucracies or governments. We've been willing to say, you just tell us what to do. I'm going to lay down my own objective reasoning. And we give over our power. We give over our control, not necessarily for the sake of caution, but for the sake of precaution. Now, there's a difference between caution and precaution. We should all be cautious. We should not go up to the edge of a cliff and lean over and then try to take a selfie. I mean, there's I don't know how many people die each year in Yosemite or places like that where they go past the boundary, go past the the fence where it says, don't pass here, caution, and they go up to the edge of the cliff to take a selfie, and uh, tragically, they slip and they fall off the cliff. Tragic. But that is caution. That fence is something that is gives warning and caution. That should be followed. But we have, by and large, as a society, COVID aside, we have, by large, as society, have moved far past taking caution, and we've been taking precaution. So for a, a hyperbole of an example, an exaggerated example, that would be 
well, we probably shouldn't even go up to the side of a mountain. You probably shouldn't even go up to the cliff. Don't even go hiking because ah, you, you never know what might get you. The cliff, the gravity, rain, a mosquito, you know, heaven forbid, you know, you scratch your leg on a bramble bush. We've moved in as a society by and large to a place of precaution. And that plays out really in the way that we begin to parent and raise our children. We see this with progressive, not just progressive media, but progressive thought where everything has trigger warnings. We're so afraid to offend people. We're so afraid that people might be offended by what we say. I, I recognize that in my life. I often find myself self-censoring because I'm afraid of what you might think. I'm afraid that someone might be offended at what I say, and I don't want to have to deal with the the maybe if and maybe if and or conflict that might happen, when in reality, you're probably not even listening. The people who would be offended probably aren't listening. Now, this we're about to dive into a touchy subject, the subject of parenting and kids. So trigger warning. See, see what I did there? This is exactly this is exactly what I mean. The precaution trigger warning actually isn't helping society. But as society as a whole, we have begun to insulate our children, to insulate uh, humanity, society from dangers for their own good. And it's a hard balance of deciding what, where exactly is that line where we're insulating or protecting or we're taking precaution for our children's good or the good of society versus being overprotective, over too much of a helicopter parent? So again, whenever, goodness gracious, whenever I post anything like this or talk anything like this, there are a number of people who really come out and get upset at some of the things that I say or some of the things that uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson is about to say right here on this podcast. So trigger warning, uh, I'm about to play something that's controversial. Children used to have multiple siblings and siblings toughen you up because there's tremendous competition in families among siblings and they had younger parents who had fewer resources and you know now parents are older first of all and second they're more resource rich and so they're more likely to schedule their children to death in some sense to provide them with all the opportunities that they feel would be useful and that's understandable and plus because they have fewer children each child is in some sense more precious you know not like if you have 10 children you don't love all of them but you know there's 10 of them there's there's only so much excess attention that can go around and they I'm gonna pause that right there this is true. We have four going on five kids now, and our attention is now split for almost five ways. And that really does affect the amount of time and energy that you can give. But we find that the blessing of having many kids is that our kids play with one another. Our kids take care of one another. Our kids have friendship with one another. Our kids every day, they are outside in the mud getting beaten and bruised, falling, getting scraped, bleeding. The, the amount of times that one of our children comes in in a day crying in tears because they got hurt is extraordinary. Part of it comes from, that's just the way that we parent. 
that we think that kids should go out and explore and play. Part of it also comes from the fact that we have four of them and there's only two of us and we're working. So we don't have the ability to keep eyes on every every child at every moment of the day, which that then tends to or lends itself to kids having their own exploratory process. As we are seen in society, and this this aspect is not a negative thing, but as we're seen in society that we are we're as the poverty line moves, or better way to say, as people more and more people come out of poverty and have more options, the birth rate begins to drop. And that is not inherently bad when the birth rate is, you know, 10, 20 kids per family or 12 kids per family. So it's okay that it naturally drops. I don't think there is a an issue with that. And the reason I'm clarifying that is many times when this subject comes up, it, it's very touchy for people. It's touchy for people uh, for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is sometimes people want to have kids and they can't. I'm not talking about that. Um, and there's sometimes that people decide that, hey, I'm, I'm just okay with two kids. I'm not talking about that. There is the negative side of what's happening, which is this extra narrative that is being laid on top of saying we are going to have population explosion. Having a kid is morally corrupt and morally wrong. You should not have any children. To have a child is morally wrong. This is a topic we've covered many times on the show. It really hits home for a lot of people. Uh, This, again, it's not necessarily what Jordan Peterson is talking about, but within that, it's this, well, this thought of I'm only going to have one kid. I'm only going to have two kids so that I can give all my precious time and energy and pour it into these one or two vessels, which can have an adverse effect because of overprotection. So we're going to finish this clip. We have another about minute and 30 seconds from this clip by Jordan Peterson. I took a photo from children used to have multiple of them, but you know, there's 10 of them. There's, there's only so much excess attention that can go around and they do a, a lot of socializing each other rather than being socialized by parents. But if you only have one child, you know, you're going to devote all your resources to providing them with absolutely everything you can provide them with. And one of the dangers of that is that you'll overprotect them and you'll provide them with too much. And we don't understand those dynamics, right? We we don't understand how much you should stay hands off your kids and let them go out there and make their own mistakes and, and find their own way. And and that's, that's, well, that's tricky and, and we're ignorant about it. And so I think one of the consequences of that is that we do have a reasonable percentage of young people, maybe young adolescents, the kind that you hear about at university, who have been overprotected and overscheduled and under-challenged in some sense. And so they're not very resilient and that's... And then, of course, what's happening in the universities, the safe spaces and the trigger warnings Mm, and all of that. And there's good recent research on this. Trigger warnings clearly make things worse rather than than better. We extend that overprotection far longer than is helpful. Um, You know, it's hard, though, because, as I said, when you have resources, you can use them to make your children's lives, let's say, easier. But the question is, like, do you really want to make the life of someone you love easier? And that's an incredibly wow. difficult question. 
That is a question. Do you want to make the life of someone that you love easier? Does that actually help them? Because what we all want, we want to help the people that we love. We want to help our children. You know what? Probably most of the people who are making legislation and bureaucracy and bureaucratic laws and red tape, I doubt that you wake up in the morning and they say, how can I make someone's life horrible? How can I destroy the economy? Some some people truly are. They have a, a real socialist agenda of saying, if we can create this sort of society, then we can destroy capitalism, for instance, or we can destroy, destroy the moral fabric of a nation. There are people who are conniving and maniacal and plotting in such manners. It's not the average person. But the average person wakes up of saying, how can we make people's lives easier and better and safer? And there is a good side to that, but that can also lead, as Dr. Jordan Peterson was saying, to an overprotection of our children, which then makes them soft, which makes them lack resilience. And as we started this episode with the explosion of a volcano in Tonga that just sent a massive tidal waves across the world, uh, three people died, uh, just incredible footage or we see one of the safest nations on earth whether it was a drone strike or whether it was an armed drone whether it was a ballistic missile it doesn't matter the fact that the world is changing where people can now through the means of a new form of guerrilla warfare strike nations from thousands of miles away it it should startle us. It should tell us and inform us that the world is not a safe place. We cannot protect our children. We cannot protect our civilization. We cannot stay safe. The answer then to our problem is we must be strong. We must be strong. We must build a resilient society, resilient kids, a resilient culture, resilient families. And that is what we aim to do. This is how we own the future. This is our goal. How do we build strong and resilient individuals, families, and then organizations or uh, sectors of community spheres of society, whether it's education or, or, or whether it's, uh, whether it's finance, whatever it is, how do we build a strong and resilient culture? Well, one of the answers to building a strong and resilient culture is meekness. Now, meekness is kind of a strange word. Even uh, if English isn't your first language, don't feel bad. A lot of people whose English is their first language don't understand necessarily what meekness is. People often think meekness is a uh, being timid or being quiet, or being reserved. But truly, the image of meekness is power under control. Power under control. It's the image of a mighty gladiator or a soldier having his sword that he could decimate his opponent in front of him with in just a moment. But he keeps his sword sheathed. He keeps his sword in his sheath. That is the image of meekness. It is having power, but choosing to restrain yourself and choosing not to use it. That is a path, probably one of many paths, 
but that is a path to grow strong and resilient cultures and to grow strong and resilient as an individual. Now, notice there's, there is a difference between being meek and being a victim. So someone who is being abused, someone who is being uh, trampled on as a victim, they are not powerful. They're not choosing to let their opponent or let their, their oppressor oppress them. They are just stuck in this situation. They can't get out. They are trampled and abused day in, day out, whether it's verbally or physically. That is just abuse. There's no honor. There's no dignity in that. However, when there is a strong individual who is choosing to not retaliate when they are abused, even though they know, you know what, if I just pull out my sword, I could destroy, I could just destroy you right now. You are so weak, so pathetic. Your arguments are so lame. Uh, you are so hypocritical. I am, I could just, I could decimate you. I could decimate you with my keyboard. I could decimate you in front of your friends. I could have my vengeance. But instead, strong people who utilize weak, meekness withhold. And they hold back. That is the way to success. Because, and, and this is one of the reasons why. Because no one wants to be under the thumb and under the power of someone who totally decimates their enemies. Because somewhere in the back of our mind, we, we, we do say, well, I want to be on her team because she's really strong and she's the strongest one there is. Or I want to be on his team because he's the greatest and he just decimates everyone with his awesome comebacks. But somewhere we realize, what if I end up on the other side of that equation? What happens one day when I'm the one who is in that person's targets? We say, eh, I don't really want that. I don't want to be micromanaged. I don't want to be destroyed. I don't want to be controlled by this other individual. And therefore, the people who end up winning, the people who end up leading the CE, the, the, the corporations, the organizations, the systems of the world are people. Maybe not in the short run, but in the long run, are people who choose to exercise meekness. Now, another way that meekness can play itself out, or maybe, yeah, it's a way that can play itself out. It's a little different is even when we have power over a situation, whether it's over a situation with our employees, over a situation with our our children, over a situation with our friends where we know the right answer. We have the power to control the outcome. Meekness is saying, I'm going to hold myself back. I'm going to let my kids make their mistakes. I'm going to let my employees learn and make their mistakes, even though I know the right way to do it. They have an idea. They want to run with it. I'm going to let them run with it. I'm going to use meekness. I'm going to restrain my power, even though I see the path that it's going to lead them down. But when we do that, we give others freedom. They are then able to explore the unknown world. They are able to explore it for themselves, learn lessons for themselves, which makes them stronger, which makes them 
resilient. They may, maybe they'll get hurt and they'll come back to us crying because they got hurt and we can comfort them. We can take care of them. But they would have learned a lesson, a valuable lesson that is going to be far more effective than being told what to do. This is another picture of meekness. Now, as I said, in the long run, not only in the the temporal momentary world, but the, the e- eternal rewards of meekness are unmeasurable. Because what our kids say about us, what our grandkids say about us, it will be remembered by the temperament by we left lead and lived our lives. Do you want, do we want to be known as people who are controlling or overprotective and not letting our employees or anyone do anything cuz we know best? Or do we want to be seen and known as people who are releasing, people who build platforms to let other people accomplish their dreams, not forcing them to build our dreams? This is a way to walk in truth. We, t- we talk about this on the show, discern, discern truth, uncover our purpose. Well, purpose is, and I don't talk about this a whole lot on the show, but it's really what was one of the main causes and drives to, to switch some of the language of the show away from own your, sto- own your story and your own your future know your purpose, uncover your purpose. And we kept that in there. But I, I realized that when people talk about looking for and searching for purpose or meaning, what they're really looking and searching for is freedom. It's because when we, when we find ourselves in the place of walking out our purpose and walking out our meaning, when we find ourselves in that place, and you're in that flow. And it's like you know, you know you're doing what you were created to do. I I get in those places at different times of my day or my week. And all of a sudden I, I have this realization. You know, right right now even is one of those realizations that I'm in I'm in my sweet spot of doing exactly what I was created to do, at least in this season of time. And I feel that purpose and I feel that meaning. But the baseline of what I'm feeling is freedom. It's freedom. And a lot of times we we talk about freedom as it's just like this freedom from the nine to five. But it's not, we're not looking for freedom from a nine to five. We're not looking for freedom from work. You get free from the nine to five and you get a 24 seven because you started your own business. It's more work. But it's freedom is the very thing that we're searching for. People talk about retiring at 35 or retiring at 22. I'm going to retire, move to an island somewhere and sit around and do nothing with the rest of my life. We think we think that, well, that's freedom, but that's not freedom. Freedom doesn't come from lack of activity. Freedom comes from truth. Truth brings freedom. Freedom brings a sense of purpose and meaning. Say that again. Understanding and living out truth, because we can know it here, but we have to live it out. That opens up a door 
of freedom in our lives because then we're free from the criticism. We're free from people who slander us and hate us. We're free from the judgment and the anxiety. We're free from worrying about where the next meal is going to come from. And we're able to then walk out in purpose and in meaning. One of the ways, one of the truths that we can walk out to step into freedom is utilizing meekness. And and we see it played out in the negative sense where society has really failed to be meek in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we uh, coddle society, in the way that we are being overprotective by a, a large means. And we're seeing a not free society. We are seeing a weak and fragile society rather than a strong society. And I want to see you build a strong culture in your personal life, your family, and in the the culture of those you lead. Don't go away. We will be right back with our closing, or not closing, <laughs> but don't go away. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged the truth for lies and reason for post-modern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And we have a couple clips for this segment today, and it is absurd. It it truly is uh, quite shocking, but it really does tie back into this desire and need for safety. This is the theme that we're talking about today, safety. The illusion of safety. Well, in a Finnish politician, uh, Pavria Rasanen, Rasanen, Pavria Rasanen. I hope I said that right. Goodness gracious! I I always I don't know if you're like me. I struggle with names, especially if they're pronounced wrong, and then I get nervous. And so, even though I've practiced the name twenty times, I did this. I would do this in interviews all the time. I would practice the name for like ten minutes before actually doing the episode and then nearly every episode even if it's like john smith i botch it anyways it's neither here nor there but she is being about to be tried in finland for a hate crime what was the hate crime the hate crime was posting a verse from the bible and quote-unquote believing christian things we have a, a segment of a few clips that we're going to pull out some nuggets from. But really, as you're listening to this, I want you to think about free speech and how the restriction of freedom of speech, the restriction of debate, the, re- the restriction of being able to post something online without having a a filter over it or without having a tag at the bottom, being fact-checked. All, all this world, the sensorial world, is leading to something, and it's it is to create, to make sure that we have a safe society. We need to be safe. But maybe it's making a a gated society or a protected society, but it certainly isn't making a strong society. I took a photo from the Bible and posted it in a Twitter and asked the leadership of my church that how is it possible <laughs> that what Bible calls sin and shame you are now supporting as a pride. And after that, some citizen made a complaint to police 
and police started to investigate that. And then after that, there were many other criminal complaints that some citizens made about uh, a booklet that was written much earlier, 2004, and some radio and TV programs where I was talking about these issues. So the context of the story is, here is Pravia. She is a part of a church. The church all of a sudden says, hey, we're supporting this gay pride parade. We, we are in support of the prideful people who are gay. Full support. She says, wait, wait a minute, I'm confused. She, in this interview, she relates how a lot of other politicians and people uh, that she knew in his, her circle began to leave the church that she was a part of. And instead, she decided to speak up and say, wait a minute, last thing, last time that I read the holy book of the Christians, the Bible, uh, it said that this isn't something that we support. We we we, we see this as sin. Uh, that's according to the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, the Muslim faith, all three of the Abrahamic uh, monotheistic faiths view homosexuality as a sin. Now, clearly, if this is happening to her in Finland, uh, you know, me just reposting this and saying this and commentating on this can put me in the same boat. Boat. It can put you in the same boat if you hold these beliefs, really depending on where the world ends up going. But so she speaks out about this. She posts a picture of a verse from the Bible, and now she's being charged for a hate crime. She was. She used to be over the police. She was an, an appointed. And elected, she was a member of parliament in Finland, and and she also was over the police. Well, now the police have pulled her in multiple times to interrogate her about these posts, about her writings from way back in 2004. This is what we, this is, goodness gracious, we talked about this, I don't know how much, back in 2020 when we started looking at the CCP, when we started looking at what they would do in the USSR, the way that the, the thought police would work, they would they would drudge up. It's show me the man and I'll show you and I'll find you the crime. And they would drudge up things from years back. This is the way that cancel culture is working. You, you make a post from 10 years ago and your enemy is going to find it, drudge it up and make sure that you get canceled. Why? Because we need to have a safe society, a society where there's not freedom of speech. There's not freedom freedom of thought or freedom of belief. We need to control society, which is obviously uh, very ironic due to the fact that <laughs> due to the fact that it's the same thing. Those who are advocating for no freedom of speech are forcing people to believe what they believe and that can easily be turned against them. So here's, here's her story of her being uh, arrested and interrogated multiple, multiple times. I, I was interrogated by police many times and those hearings, they lasted altogether about 13 hours. In fact, the situation was very absurd because uh, I sat there with, with the police I had the 
Bible on the table. <laughs> and then the police asked me questions about uh, my beliefs. <laughs> what do you think about uh, what Apostle Paul is here teaching? What do you think about this verse, these verses where he speaks about homosexual acts? In fact, I, I, I thought that it was quite a privilege <laughs> to have this kind of discussion with the police. Because I had many times uh, during these hours uh, the possibility to tell to the police the message of gospel, what the Bible teaches about the value of human being, that all people are created as the image of God, and, and that's why they all are valuable. So, uh, so here she is being interrogated by the police on. On what the Bible says. Say, hey, uh, the Bible says this. Do you believe it? The Bible says this. What do you think about this? It is being an interrogation of her faith. This is the way that Europe is going. This is the way that the, the post-Christian society in Europe is going. And it, it is tending towards and leading towards restriction of freedom of speech. Because speech is thought. And if you can control speech, you can control thought. Ironically here, she's also pointing out, hey, within the Judeo-Christian worldview, because we believe this book, this book teaches us that every person is valuable, that every individual is made in the image of God. And this is a, a, a stream of thought that seems great on the surface, and it truly is great. But it is viewed as dangerous to the determinists. It's viewed, viewed as dangerous to those who are holding on to a, a Marxist or a socialist worldview where, where really they say, well, there's no such thing as right or wrong, good or evil, moral or immoral. All there is is power. And there's no such thing as innocence or guilt. But wrapped up in this worldview, very similar to an Islamic worldview or Judaic worldview, wrapped up in this worldview is the, the belief and the truth of innocence and guilt. But when that is present, you can't just throw someone in jail. You can't just do away with a whole swath of people like they did in China, like they did in the USSR, like they have done in, in Cambodia and Pol Pot. This is the cycle that happens and these thoughts are dangerous to the socialist worldview she continues uh, it was funny that many people described these uh, interrogations that baby goes now again to the police station to give bible studies <laughs> to the police <laughs> i could never have imagined uh, for example, when I worked as a minister of interior, uh, who was uh, in charge of police, <laughs> that I would be uh, interrogated and asked that kind of questions in police station. I have heard about this kind of uh, interrogations and hearings from Soviet times. <laughs> I'm so old that I remember the Soviet times. And I could never have imagined that that happens in Finland. 
People think that those Soviet times are long gone. They're done away with. They're, oh, this is the past. That won't happen again. That wasn't real communism. That wasn't real socialism. That wasn't real progressivism. We'll do it the right time. But here we are, 2022, seeing this happen in a, a free democratic state of Finland. Now, <laughs> this, is, this is the last clip, I promise, f- from this segment. But this is so important. And the reason that this is so important is not because it's a crackdown against the Bible, which that is important, but because if they can do this in Finland, it will slowly grow and grow across the world. And the important lesson to learn here is that freedom of speech is a prerequisite for freedom of thought. Freedom of thought and speech is a prerequisite for developing society and communities forward. If we want to see an advancement of technology, we have to have a freedom of thought, which means we have to have a freedom of speech, no matter where you are in the world. And this goes both ways. This goes for for people who want to live in a homosexual lifestyle. They ought to have the freedom to think that, to talk about that, to say that. They ought to have the freedom to debate and, and argue their points. They ought to have that freedom. They ought to have that freedom. But that freedom is being taken away. Here's the, the last clip. This is a, 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 where, she's, where she describes what the national prosecutor uh, said on in an interview on national TV in Finland uh, about this case and the ramifications of this case if it if she is indeed found guilty of a hate crime for posting a picture of the Bible. The prosecutor general has been in public many times about this case, and one year ago in interview in Helsingin Sanomat. Uh, she uh, stated that if Päivi Räsänen is convicted, it is not necessary to take the Bibles away from the libraries and it is still okay to cite them. But what is not okay is to agree with the Bible. And at the same time, she also compared the Bible to Mein Kampf. The Bible is now Mein Kampf, ladies and gentlemen. It is okay to quote it. It is okay to criticize it, but you can't believe it. This is, this is the exact point. It is not about freedom of speech. It is about freedom of thought. But in order for us to be able to have freedom of thought, there must be freedom of speech. And freedom of thought is the prerequisite to build a thriving community and society. Because if you can't argue with someone that says, hey, I, I think you're wrong. If you can't argue with this lady and say, hey, lady, I think you're wrong about that. Imagine if the tables were turned. And in many places across the globe, the tables are turned. But imagine if the tables were turned and, and they're saying, hey, lady, I think you're wrong. Nope, you can't say you can't say that she's wrong. You can't disagree. You can't have you, you can have literature that says you disagree, but you can't believe it. People should have the ability to disagree because that is how we find truth. That is how we decipher what is 
one of the, there's many ways, but there's one of the ways is by saying, does it hold up? Does it stand the pressures and the tests and the attacks and the assaults against it? Because if it doesn't, then it's not truth. If it does, then it is truth, which that will lead us to our Weaver and Loom segment. But before that, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. This is a value for value podcast. We don't have advertisers on the show, but it's brought to you by listeners like you. So if you get value out of this show, we'd ask that you would give value back to it in the measure that you received. And you can do that by visiting lucasgrobot, skgrobot.com and giving your hard cold fiat there. Or if you are into the crypto world, you can listen to this on a podcasting 2.0 certified app like Sphinx or Breeze or Podfriend or Podstation, and you can load up your Bitcoin wallet, your Lightning wallet, and you can stream Satoshis as you listen, little micropayments as you go. Now, thousands of people tune into this show every month, and our assignment and our mission has never been more clear to empower people to build strong and resilient communities. So please, if you are interested, not if you're interested, if you get value out of the show, so into it, give your dollars into it because as you give, you actually get more value back out of it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own, weave our destiny and own our future. Today's quote is by the one and only John Milton from his famous speech and uh, essay, the Areopagitica, which was written hundreds back in the 1600s. And a, a, a timeless piece of work where he argues against censorship. Now, John Milton was not, he was pro-freedom of speech, but he did think that there should be some restrictions in speech. He shouldn't, and really in America, the place where we think freedom of speech is it, there are still some restrictions in speech, th- thus being, I can't just make up lies about you and publish them all over the internet or in the newspaper that are just blatant untruths. I can't do that. So there are restrictions uh, to what you can and can't say, even that John Milton is arguing. But he does make the argument in this essay, and we've referred to it a number of the times here on the show. He makes the argument that if you are going to create a, a culture of censorship, then there comes a point where you can't even have windows on your house because who is going to censor what you're going to look out and see on the street? Who is going to control your every eye's glance or every thought? Who's, who's going to censor the censors? Right now, CNN hired fact checkers. Well, who's going to fact check the fact checkers? Who's going to fact check the fact checkers? Who's fact checking the fact checkers? It, it's, it's endless. And really, it comes down to who has the power to decide what is right or wrong. So what is true and not truth and what gets censored and what doesn't get censored. They're recently on the interwebbings uh, of the big tech social media. People are getting kicked off of social platforms like YouTube, like Instagram 
for echoing, for echoing WHO talking points or echoing or stating what has been stated on the CDC website and saying, look, even the CDC is saying this, even the WHO is saying this, but it's going against, it's building a case, an argument against a certain narrative that wants to be pushed to create a society that is overprotected and beholden to the, the governmental institutions. And so they don't like that. Got to shut that down rather than there being open debate and open dialogue for individuals to be able to decide what they want to do with their life. So here is the, the quote from John Milton. Through all the winds, though all the winds of doctrine were let loose to play upon the earth. So truth be in the field. This, this beginning phrase of it says, so all, all the winds of doctrine are on the earth, which also means truth is in the playing field. Truth is on the field as well. Goes on to say, we do injuriously by licensing and prohibiting to misdoubt her strength. So imagine you're at a football match, American or world football, it doesn't matter. And the best player is on the field. But the referee takes it upon themselves to say, "Ah, we got to make sure that truth wins. We got to make sure that the best player wins. And in the, the, the referee's mind, they have an image of who and what the best player is. Maybe they know, maybe they don't. But they begin to license and prohibit based on the person or the player or the truth that they want to win and thus misdoubting the strength of truth, misdoubting her strength. Milton goes on to finish this quote and says, let her and falsehood grapple. Let truth and falsehood grapple with one another. Whoever knew truth put to the worse and in a free and open encounter. Whoever knew truth put to the worse in a free and open encounter. Meaning, if you let truth and falsehood fight and grapple with one another, truth will always win. Because whoever knew truth to lose? And if it does lose, then is it really truth? An interesting, in closing, closing thoughts, the Czech Republic essentially has scrapped mandatory COVID-19 jabs even as its daily cases get higher. They've said, you know what, we still, we still believe that the vaccine works. We still believe that it's a good idea that you get the jab. We still believe that this is the right way. This is what's best for society. But we recognize by mandating it, by forcing it, by twisting people's arms to get it, by the compulsion that is creating a divided society. And those who are hesitant are becoming more hesitant. Those who are hesitant are becoming more resistant because it's being mandated, because it's being forced upon them. And so they said, we're doing away with it. It's just fissuring our society. It's breaking up our society. It's not working. It's not helping. And instead, they're saying, here's the truth. Here's the data. Do with it what you will. What do you think is best for you? You can decide. 
that actually creates much more opening, inviting environment for someone to say, actually, yeah, I do, I do kind of, I, I think you might be onto something. I think I, I want to do that. But that requires freedom of speech, freedom of thought, and freedom of belief. Thanks for listening. If you want to get more out of this show, the way that you get more is by sharing what you have. Those who give, get. So do yourself a favor and do your community a favor and share this podcast, this episode with a friend who you either like or don't like. It really doesn't matter. But they are going to feel loved. When someone sends me an episode, I feel loved because I know that they're thinking of me. When someone sends me a podcast, not on social media, not you know on your stories and says, you know, it's like, okay, that's great. But when someone messages me and says, hey, I listened to this episode. Did you hear this yet? I feel love. So love someone today. Share this episode with them. Another way you can support the show is by getting my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this book in time of my life where all my metrics, all my algorithms were not working. And uh, it is a simple, highly actionable book. And the things that I write about in this book, very simple principles. I think about every single week, probably every single day, but definitely every single week. I just got the book finished being translated into Arabic. So we'll have an Arabic version out uh, to you shortly, including an Arabic audio version of the book. So you can go over and check that out as well. Thank you for being with us today. Remember, Go out and build a strong society. Not a safe one, but a strong and resilient one. Because if you can do that, you will equip the next generation to discern truth, uncover purpose, and own their futures.